0: Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com invest. Join me on that next deal. and I look forward to seeing you on the inside. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Show. My name is Steven Pesavento. I'm your host. And today, I've got Chris Miles in the studio. How are you doing today, Chris?
1: Fantastic, Stephen.
0: I'm excited to dive in as, you know, you're an expert on uh, putting together the right plan for investing something that I know all of us could really benefit from. And for many of those who have a plan, uh, you would be able to take away some strategies on how to improve that. And of course, you're the host of the Money Ripple Show, um, you know, author of uh, some books and you've been featured in a ton of different publications. You've really been helping people get more clear on what it is that they can do to start really using passive investing as a tool to put them in a whole nother uh, place to be able to retire and do the things they want to do. So it's a perfect fit for what we're going to be uh, and who we really serve here. So excited to dive in. Uh, are you ready? You ready to dive into things?
1: I'm always ready, man. Let's do this.
0: <laughs> all right. So before we get into all the nuts and bolts of all the goodies, I want to start with my primary question and start out by looking back at earlier in your life. Mm -hmm. What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today?
1: Yeah. So I had an interesting upbringing. I had two very different parents, right? So my father was the traditional kind of the uh, pre-baby boomer type of mentality, right? Which is you work for a company for 40 years, you save everything, spend nothing, although he would blow it on different stuff, right? But, you know, pretty much like just be a good saver. And uh, get a good education, which he didn't have. I was supposed to be the first person to get that education in the family, which I kind of was. um, And that was it. My mom, on the other hand, she was a business owner, but she was more of the starving artist. So, have you ever seen uh, Bob Ross, right? Paintings with Bob Ross, you know, where he's painting the happy little trees and stuff. She was trained by the same master painter as him, you know. And so, she was doing the same kind of stuff, uh, eking out a living as a business owner, but really as kind of like a a self-employed entrepreneur, you know. Uh, so I have these two very different mindsets. And, um, and so when I got to college, I was the first one in my family to go to college. The thing is, I didn't want the typical job. I didn't want the W-2 job. I wanted something where I could control my destiny and my freedom. So my plan was to become a business consultant, right? I was going to go in there, talk to these big corporations about how they treat their employees like crap and walk out with a big check. Um, but I figured if I'm going to do that before I get my MBA, shouldn't I have real life business experience? Like, shouldn't I actually have a business myself? So I actually dropped out of college with one class to go before I got my bachelor's. And from that point on, I said, all right, what am I going to do? What's that business I'm going to do? Well, the first thing that came across my way a few months later was becoming a financial advisor. Cause little known to me, I thought financial advisor, you would have to like, you know, it was almost like boiler room type stuff. Like you'd have to fight and claw your way to, to, you know, be hired. I didn't realize I'd take anybody with a heartbeat who could pass a test with a 70% passing grade, you know? So um, when I realized, you know, eventually I realized that, but I, I went down that path. I became a financial advisor for four years, stayed dropped out of college. And, and uh, may,
0: I'm going to pause you there. I mean, it makes so much sense coming from the background that you were in. I mean, yeah. you had one parent who was the traditional saver education mm-hmm. focus, and you had another parent who was that business owner, but neither one of them had really hit it big financially. And so no. w- what was that belief about money when you were younger?
1: The belief was like, you know, the same thing I heard all the time, especially when they were lamenting over, which was, Hey, it doesn't grow on trees or what do you think I am made of money? You know, or my favorite one was the one that my dad said to us, especially as teenagers said, you know what? I gave up that Corvette to have you kids, (laughs) you know, it was always sacrifice. It was always a thing of, it was hard, right? It was hard to come by. Um, And even today, you know, my dad, who's now almost 80, you know, even now he says, wow, like you've accomplished something I never was able to accomplish in my life. Like you were able to create financial freedom. Like I can't even fathom that, you know, he can't even fathom the kind of money I spend, right? Like in the money that I, you know, flow in and out of my life and things like that, because it's just a different mentality. It was always like, save it and hoard it like a squirrel. And uh,
0: well, with these, with these old beliefs, it, it really does make sense why the outcome that they experienced was there. And, and really uh, that's, I, honestly feel like the, the outcome and belief about money that most people have, mm-hmm. right? They hear these yeah. things and they grow up around that. What was that moment that it shifted for you?
1: Yeah. Cause that was kind of that Dave Ramsey mentality, right? Especially as a financial advisor, you know, which was horrible. Like that just has been proven never to work. Like you can never save enough in mutual funds and never become financially free. Uh, and the moment kind of was a gradual shift three to four years into my career as a financial advisor I started to see that more and more people, even after decades of advice, weren't financially free. And the big thing that changed is right at the end of 2005, uh, I had a guy that I trained to be a financial advisor that left to go do real estate investing with his dad. They started to become, you know, started to do flipping and things like that. So I thought, you know, four months later, I'll see how he's doing. I bet you he's broke. So it was going to be kind of like the, hey, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. You're broke yet? Great. Come back to work for me as a financial advisor, right? Um, that didn't work out that way. Uh, what ended up happening is he said, man, things are awesome. My dad's doubled his income as a professor at the local university. And, uh, and we're just rocking it right now. And I was like, come on, that's too good to be true, which is what we hear a lot of times in the real estate game, right? Like, come on, like mm-hmm. nobody gets double digit or more returns than that. You know, that's just too good to be true. It doesn't happen. Well, he finally just said, Chris, well, how many of your clients are financially free? Well, None. Not, not, not even the retired ones are still worried about running out of money. He said, well, good job. How about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing these mutual funds? Mm-hmm. And I thought about these guys that have been working since the 70s as financial advisors, and they're still there. They're still in the rat race. I said, well, none. He said, well, there's your problem. I'm like, well, give me the answer. He's like, I won't give it to you because you just got done arguing with me about why real estate sucks. So I'm not going to tell you. Well, long story short, I opened up. I'm like, listen, you got me, give me something. So he connected me, had me listen to a radio show back, you know, pre-podcast AM talk radio that had real estate investors on there. And he's like, go get this book, Who Took My Money by Robert Kiyosaki, which says why mutual funds suck, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I did that and I started to, you know, gradually pick up piece by piece from him till a few months later, I just said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot be a financial advisor knowing that this doesn't work. So I quit March, 2006. I quit. I'd never teach about money again. I would just be a mortgage broker and I would teach ballroom dancing at the local university because little known fact I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers. Um, so I did that, but eventually I had to know what these guys knew. It drove me that they in their their twenties and thirties and they had that figured out. I had to know myself. So Eventually I started to pick up what they learned and things like that from both business residual streams and, and from creating passive income and stuff, I was able to become financially independent in 2006 when I was 28, almost 29 years old. Um, then I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Now that I'm there, now what? And, uh, and that's where I started teaching teach people about money.
0: So this is all, I mean, it's great because it's, it's wonderful to see the path towards mm-hmm. changing that belief towards recognizing yeah. that things can be different that you the, the old way of thinking wasn't gonna get you where you needed to go. And it's that epiphany moment of where you end up connecting with somebody who shows you the way. And I know a lot of folks are listening to the investor mindset. You've had it here. You've had it on other shows. You've had it reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, whatever it might be. And now it's this journey of searching for the answers. And so I think one of the biggest the biggest lessons is actually getting clear on what it is that you want and why you want it. And we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about the importance of getting that plan together. So let's talk a little bit about what it takes to put together that plan to get clear and how you can really start identifying where there's some potential leaks in your boat uh, so you can really patch those up and, and start investing the right way.
1: Yeah, the big thing is always about finding resource, right? Because if I learned anything from the last recession, because that kicked my butt too. You know, I was financially independent to all of a sudden financially in the rat race again, and then I had to become financially independent the second time by 2016. I had to do it twice, right? Mm. Um, the cool thing is, I already knew it worked, and I knew I had to prove that it wasn't just luck; that I was actually formulaic. That anybody can get out of the rat race, and I had to do it twice. You know, by the time I was 39 years old. And, and it's really focusing on cash flow. That was the thing I was missing as a financial advisor that just never made sense, right? Because get this I mean, say you happen to be lucky enough to save up even a few million dollars, right? Say it's $2 million you happen to save up in your mutual funds and IRAs and all that kind of crap, right? Um, and I say crap because they really are. <laughs> I mean, that stuff just doesn't work. But say you got $2 million. Well, it used to be, uh, even when I first became a financial advisor, they'd say there's this 4% rule, right? That you live on 4%. Mm-hmm. The problem is that even as we started to look at the numbers, we said, people are living longer, interest rates are going lower, 4% might be too much. People could run out of money still doing that. So maybe we need to do 2 or 3% as that magic number, which means you live on 2 or 3% of whatever total investment retirement accounts you have, right? So say it's 3%. Say we go aggressive here. So, you have $2 million to live on 3%. Now you're living on 60,000 a year. I mean, that's barely, barely middle class, you know? And you're a multimillionaire now living in lower middle class, right? At mm-hmm. 60,000 a year. And then you get taxed on that. So now you're almost getting, getting, becoming impoverished as a millionaire. You're a broke millionaire, right? Mm-hmm. Now that same $2 million, and you and I have talked about this on and off the air, right? They same $2 million, if I go and do something that's focused on cash flow where I get a 12% rate of return, mm-hmm. well now I'm making 240,000 a year on my 2 million, which is $20,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Way different than a $5,000 month average with the stock market. It's almost four or five times better. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I never quite understood as a financial advisor was it's about cash flow. Like how can it generate actual real sustainable income and predictable income too. It can't just be, you know, just random, you know, hypothetical speculating. You know, that's that's what most people are trying to do with their money right now. And I guarantee with the way the market has been swinging upward for the last 13 going into the 13th year, which is a record by far since the, even before the Great Depression, that's something we got to watch out for because if you've got your money saved out in the market, you're in trouble. So, when I look at people's situation, it's like, all right, well, how do we find this money, right? How do we get it out of prison? Is it locked up in savings, just doing nothing? Is it in IRAs or four hundred one k's? Can we get that unlocked and get it out? Are there ways to get it out where we can reduce, you know, reduce the tax bill, right? Especially if you're going to try to retire before you're sixty, the last place you want to invest in are in IRAs and four hundred one k's. That's the dumbest place to invest because it just pushes back your time horizon into your sixties. Um, you know, also home equity. You know, looking at places like that. You know, home equity is another one, uh, especially right now where it's so dirt cheap to get money, right? Um, I it's, it's just ridiculous. I had one client, for example, he was the Dave Ramsey poster child, right? He was living in San Diego. Um, he had, he had his home and he had a rental property in California, which whenever I find people, I got rental properties, in California, I'm like, okay, sell it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if you got anything on the West, Western, you know, Western United States, or especially the West coast, you know, Washington, Oregon, California, I guarantee your numbers look crappy, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And they were, he was, he had a, about 600,000 equity in his rental property profiting $200 a month. Mm. His return on equity was like a fraction of a percent, right? Um, his own home, he was trying to pay that off. His goal was to pay off both loans on his mortgages by, in six years. And that would free up about $4,000 a month. I'm like, well, that's great. But we've got equity in your house and we got equity in your, your rental property. I said, one, let's sell your rental property Let's 1031 that into other stuff like commercial or, or anything, even heck, even duplexes, fourplexes, anything, right? Get it out of there. Even if we only got a 10% rate of return, we're making a much better return off that 600 grand. You know, we're making about 60 grand a year, right? That's 5,000 a month, not 200 a month. Mm-hmm. Two, we got 400,000. We could probably tap into your home equity too, pull that out. Even though only netted a 6% return after you paid your, uh, your, you know, your, uh, home equity line of credit fees and things like that. And actually we we're going to refinance. So it was, it was a better return than that. Still we're netting now about a, you know, 25 to $30,000 a year. So now we're already up to like 80, $90,000 a year. Even when you take out the little bit of increased cost on his mortgage payment, he's still netted about 70,000 a year. And remember he thought it'd be six years before he could finally free up the money to save himself 4,000, about 4,200 bucks a month. But instead in yeah. year one, could have seventy thousand more a year already, and I, if you do that income snowball, you take that money and reinvest that and keep turning it over. By year six, he was already going to be well over a hundred thousand dollars a year passive income versus just fifty thousand of saved expense.
0: So this is this is really big because essentially what you're saying is that first step, and it's a step a lot of people skip over. It's mm-hmm. really understanding where you're coming from, where you're starting from. What yeah. is the income that you have? What are the investments that you have? What accounts do you have? Where could there be potential equity? And mm-hmm. you're essentially going on this, this search and you're pulling it all together into one place. And then your second step is really strategically understanding, well, if I was to reallocate this money, how mm-hmm. could it serve me and serve my goals? And I think that's a really, really big thing to understand because you know we'll talk with a lot of investors and you know they'll invest 100,000, they'll invest 500,000. In a deal or in multiple deals, and yeah. then they'll get to a point where they say, "Hey, well, you know, I, I, I I'm unclear about where the next investment is going to come from." Exactly. But oftentimes, they've forgotten to look at their investment portfolio they already have, the stocks they mm-hmm. have, and it, this is not saying get rid of everything that you've you've ever accumulated and done in the past. But yeah. it's going through individually and understanding what is the return profile that you're experiencing and that you're seeing? And how could you better allocate that so it could create a better return? And that's exactly what you're going towards.
1: Exactly. Like it's, it's funny, especially when you get somebody who's a listener of many podcasts. I mean, they get, they get caught up in all kinds of things. They're throwing money here and there. It's like throwing spaghetti on a wall and there's no real plan or strategy with it. They're just trying to make money wherever they can. And you don't want to be caught in that trap because what happens is that now it's spreading. It's just like trying to put out a fire with a sprinkler, right? It just doesn't do it. You got to have a fire hose to really make it work, you know. So we're trying to figure out: Hey, do you want growth? Do you want cash flow? Do you want both? You know, where are the best places the, where you can do it? Do you need tax advantage returns? You know, like you know, you're doing a syndication or something like that. Do you want to get that depreciation to offset those gains? Because that's different than just doing simple lending, where lending can get you a great return, even short term. But Um, Once you start factoring in taxes, you might not be left with much, you know, it might be a much smaller return than what you can earn in buying your own properties, whether it's turnkey, whether you're just buying a rental, short term rentals, or even just doing syndications or things like that. Um, So we're always looking at factors of taxes, you know, do we, you know, do you want to invest in oil? I mean, that's an option, but again, there's different, there's always different objectives that every investment has, and you want to make sure it matches up with your objective or what you're trying to accomplish too in in that timeframe.
0: That's huge. So you're getting clear on what you've got. You've gotten clear on where you could reallocate it. You understand what are some of the things you're really looking for cash flow, equity growth, tax benefits. Let's talk about tax benefits for a little bit. So, you know, what are the impact of taxes on investments and, and how can somebody go about looking at that and calculating it up for themselves?
1: Yeah. The thing you have to ask yourself is, are you an owner or are you a, a lender? Right. Um, Lenders don't get the tax benefits owners do when you participate in the equity versus the debt, the equity partners get more tax advantages, right? Like I, I got a guy that, I mean, he loves making returns off of, off of uh, doing uh, uh, courthouse type stuff, right? Like where he's <laughs> I'm just like tax lien properties and things like that makes killing, but he'll only let people be a debt investor, getting a flat 10% rate of return. And that's fantastic, right? However, you know, they're not going to get any of the gains, you know, where if I buy property, you know, whether I'm owning a property, single family, multifamily, whatever it might be, or if I'm in a partner syndication, if they're passed on some of those tax benefits, the great thing is, is that I can potentially pay little to no taxes on all that money, you know, and, and that's my goal for me personally, because I'm in a pretty high tax bracket. I want tax advantage returns. And many of my clients the same way I know many of your followers are too, is if you're in already a pretty high tax bracket, you know, you're, you're kind of not wanting to take on more income to only have to pay more tax, right? You want to have income that coming in, that's tax-free. So uh, picture this, I mean, I have one, you know, one client in California saying, all right, Chris, if I do that 10% a year deal, yeah, that's 10%. But if I have to give up 40% in taxes, I only net a 6% rate of return. I'm like, that's true. She's like, well, can I do better than that? I said, well, yeah. (laughs) you know, again, a tax advantage. If you get a tax advantage investment at even just 10%, even if that's the pref or even at 8% pref, great. You're already beating this other one that supposedly supposed to be paying higher, but it's not because again, you're paying the tax on money.
0: This is really, really important. I hope you guys, if you're not super familiar with this, or when you're looking at your investments, you're not taking into consideration the tax implications, then I hope that you start doing that because it can make a huge difference. It's one of the big advantages of investing in syndications is oftentimes we'll receive bonus depreciation or receive upfront tax benefits upon purchase that are held throughout the, the ownership of that property. And then when you invest in another one, you continue to um, you know pass along and, and continue to, to benefit on the tax front versus comparing it to something else that may be lending or may... Offer you some kind of set return, it can be great. And there is a good advantage to having multiple different streams of income. But you definitely want to be thinking about the impact of taxes because it can dramatically impact your overall returns in the long run.
1: Yeah. And that's and that's why sometimes, especially when I get W-2 employees, it's always tough, you know, when you get people, are, and sometimes even with business owners too. You got W-2 employees, they'll say, Well, where can I, can I show a loss of my real estate income? Because I got you know, I'm buying these rental properties too, and I've got all this extra depreciation. I can keep carrying over as a loss year after year, which is great. But a lot of times they're saying, Well, how do I do that? Or more importantly, I've got this, you know, I'm I'm in my forties. I don't want to wait till I'm 60 to get access to my retirement. I want to be financially free by the time I'm 50 or 55, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. You got IRA money sitting here. Can we get that money out and pay less tax? Right. And sometimes you just take tax it and that's fine. And you get the 10% penalty, which is not always great, but it's part of the cost, right? You're going to pay taxes on that money anyways down the road. So to me, the tax is not that big of a deal. The bigger deal is, can we reduce the taxes as it's coming out? And so a lot of times the strategy we will look at is, all right, can we do something like making you or your spouse, especially if you're working full-time and they're not, can we make maybe the spouse a real estate professional and start taking losses from these mm-hmm. these uh, the the depreciation, the bonus depreciation, cost segregation, everything else? Can we start showing a loss on your tax return that offsets the money you're pulling out? You know, and there's, you know, and that's, and that's, it can be tricky because you got to have at least 750 hours plus per year of real estate type stuff. So if you're investing in syndication, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you're not doing anything. It's totally, totally passive. We might have to find ways to buy a certain number of properties to make sure you qualify still, right?
0: It Yeah, um, it's, a, it's achievable. And as part mm-hmm. of the process, it really, one of the things is you really want to understand, you know, all the nuances when you're putting together these strategies. And so you really want to have a great team. You know, I think your syndicator and your sponsors that you're investing with as part of your team, you Mm -hmm. have your financial advisor, who are some of those team members and how do you recommend people go about putting together that team?
1: Yeah. I mean, you gotta have a great CPA, obviously. Right. I mean, that's the number one thing I hear is people say, I have a good CPA, but they don't know how to handle all this investment stuff. Well, great. We need to get a CPA. That's that's more focused there. And that's where you build a team. You can either try to build it yourself. You know, you can try to do it the slow way, which is haphazardly or doing the way, like I know you did, which is you got something like a mentor or a coach to help guide you along, make the right connections. So then you can have that team really built for you more in an instant versus trying to build it over time. Like I had to do, you know?
0: Absolutely. So who are some of those team members that people would want to have if, if they're looking to go down this route?
1: Yeah. So I mentioned CPA is a good one, you know, attorney, definitely a great attorney. I mean, somebody can help you with the deal structuring. Uh, if you're doing more active investing, you definitely need to have a good real estate attorney, but even just having someone to help you develop, you know, create the LLCs, you know, with the right corporate structures to protect you because you want to not just make money. We want to protect what you keep and then make money on top of it. Um, you know, you've got to have the right, in, you know, the right investments, you know, the right investors, you know, the right deal operators that you're connected with as well to help make sure you're tied in with the right deals Um, obviously like somebody to help guide you, like you said, it can be a financial advisor, but financial advisors really don't do that. Like they just, they don't even look at this stuff. They don't even get it. They don't even understand it. Um, that's why I had to become the anti financial advisor, right? Like, cause it's just such a weird thing to do. So you want somebody to help be coordinated, of course, um, insurances, you got to have, make sure you have the right insurance as a place to protect you as well, because why build all that wealth only to have one event, take it all away, you know? So all those things are key. I mean, even Infinite banking, you know, like I use infinite banking as a strategy along with my life insurance, you know, using that to buy my real estate properties and then start moving the money through there. Like it's my tax-free supercharged savings account, you know, I'm getting double dip on my returns. Right. And there's all kinds of things you want to make sure you have it designed right when you're building this team.
0: Yeah. All of these things are super, super important. And, uh, I think there's been some really valuable takeaways for folks. And I hope that you guys ask yourself the question, what can you take away and how can you apply it, you know, as you're hearing this. And so as we're getting close to wrapping up, what would be, uh, what would be some advice that you want to share with folks as they're looking to go down this path that you maybe haven't shared yet, or you want to emphasize?
1: Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is really, Flipping your mindset, knowing that the mainstream doesn't teach you how to become free, that the best chance of success is going against the norm, right? Going against what's accepted. I get, I get some people that will say things like, Chris, you know, I'm just more conservative. You know, I'm, I'm more conservative with my money. What they're really saying is, is they're not saying they're less risky because the conservative people take, you know, they're trying to pay off all their debt to where the bank is at less risk, but they're at higher risk, right? Because now there's more equity, especially from lawsuits and even potentially losing properties. You can still do that even if you have a paid off house, you can still foreclose. Um, but there's also other issues of, hey, I've got my money in the stock market. So when people put their money in their IRAs and 401ks, they'll say, well, I'm conservative, right? Um, I'm, I, I don't want to do anything risky. Well, the truth is you're gambling your money in riskier things than, than Stephen and I are. Like you're actually being a huge gambler and you're getting lackluster returns for that gamble. The average market, by the way, the average S&P has only done 8.4% actual yield over the last 30 years. And that's with record high stock market right now. That's at a record high, 8.4%. Usually it's between seven and eight. So you get these lackluster returns when in truth, we can get much higher returns, double digit returns in real estate with tax advantages and with less risk and more certainty. And most importantly, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's about cash flow. What kind of income do you get? Even if you have a million bucks, living on 30,000 a year versus living on or 100, 120,000 a year, that's your choice. And you can do that with less risk and higher returns. So the whole low, you know, low risk, low returns, high risk, high returns, myth. That's what financial advisors taught you. So you put money with them, putting your money at risk versus the other way around. So if you really want to be conservative, you really want to be somebody who's actually has a chance at being financially independent, it requires you ish- really eschewing, right? Just rejecting all the mainstream that's been proven not to work already. People are not becoming financially free, doing the norm. You've got to do something different if you want to create a new path.
0: Absolutely, well, that's such good advice. And it's such a, a, an important reminder that people get caught up thinking they're taking the safe path, but that that mm-hmm. safe path is actually full of much more risk. If you're making a much lower return, and there's still risk attached to that lower return, uh, you don't have the upside available to make up for when things don't go as planned. And so it's important to remember that by understanding the investments, by understanding the structures, by realizing and recognizing that there's some strategies that can have great returns and can have low to moderate risk, Uh, and together that can really be a powerful tool to really being able to grow your portfolio. So thank you so much, uh, Chris, where can people find out more about you or get in touch?
1: Yeah, two places they can go. They can go to our website, moneyripples.com. They can go on there. We even got a free ebook called beyond rice and beans, seven secrets free up cash today. They can find ways to find more money. Um, or two, they can follow our podcast, the Chris miles money show.
0: Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful episode full of some great lessons. And uh, uh, I look forward to the next time we're to hang out. here,
1: Stephen. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to investormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.